Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. your work it is the dead of winter it is the dead of night we're into christmas episodes where we're lit by your tree which is now up and glowing it's a very pretty tree Yasik did a good job all praise to Yasik. um i'm one of those annoying people and i think you get annoyed with me about this every year is it that you leave the table when dinner is about to be served because you have to pee (laughs) one of my many annoying things that is one of them but that's not what i was referring to i'm one of those people Everybody, you're going to like, please don't turn off our podcast. You are going to roll your eyes. I start working out. Like people start, you know, they come back from the new year and they have their new year's resolution. I start in December. What? So that you're ahead of the game? I do. That's cheating. I I start, I, I pick up the like workout regularity and the intensity December 1st. um, And then I don't feel as shit through the holidays. And then by January, I don't feel like I'm, you know, operating at a, oh, let me drag. And you know why though? It's because once award season hits, that is like vanity season Well, for that's me. it. You're kind of saving it with the, then I don't feel so sluggish and then I have to do stuff for work. Like, yeah, no, we were just busy being annoyed with you. Um, but, but yes, those are justified-ish reasons. But I have to say that for some reason, everywhere I go, among our friends, we know several of them in common, and now online, because I just read a fucking headline about Chris Pratt about this. He's, Everybody… Is Chris Pratt one of our friends, and I didn't he's know? He's not, but like he's doing the same thing that a lot of our friends are doing, and they can't stop talking about it. And I know that this is like a year old, but it the, the crescendo around this fucking thing is getting louder and what? louder. What? The anticipation is killing me. It's the intermittent fasting. Oh, yeah, I did that. Okay. Are you doing the 16 and the 8? Well, no, I kind of do it wrong. But yeah, it makes sense. Okay. So it's for those of you who don't know, where have you been, I guess. So you eat for eight hours of the day only. And <laughs> In then you- an eight-hour window. It's not quite like a <laughs> – I mean, I guess it can be like an eight-hour eat yeah. fest. Yeah. And then you don't eat for 16 hours. So essentially what happens is – Let's say the night before your last meal was at seven. Mm-hmm. So you aren't supposed to eat for 16 hours after. So what? Seven to seven is 12 plus another four. So you can't eat until 11. Right. But if you wake up at 5 a.m., you're not supposed to eat till 11 o'clock. And the re- I don't know, the way you make it is this fucking bullet thing where you dump some butter or some shit into your coffee. Okay, no, you're you're mixing things together now. Bullet coffee is different. Um, no, no, this is what you do. Yeah, this but is what people, people have been doing. Okay, but people who have bullet coffee are not necessarily intermittent fasting and people who intermittently fast don't necessarily have bullet coffee. All the people I know who do and we know, P.S., who do this thing are doing like the bullet coffee. That's fine, but it's like that's a – bullet coffee, by the way, is coffee with butter. 
um, which, come on, I love butter, but no, it's special clarified grass butter and whatever. I like coffee, but come on. Uh, yeah, no, people do. But I find I do this the wrong way where I'm just like, oh, well, I'm still hungry and I guess I'm going to have a snack before bed. So I guess that becomes the window. So it might be a slight variation on this. If you're having a snack before bed, are you waiting 16 fucking hours until like afterwards before you eat again? Uh, I mean, what's 16 fucking hours at that point? It's enough, but yeah, maybe. I'm just saying I can't do it. I tried it for one day, made it one day. Didn't even make it one day. I was so, I wake up at like five and then I was like, Fuck, wait a minute. I can't eat until goddamn 11? But I think this is why this is a thing that you're talking about. It's, I think people talk about tinkering with your window the way they do, like, it's the, you know, what filter did you use in 2015? Like, that's the kind of conversation about moving your window by tiny increments. People love it, though. Yeah. They feel energetic. They feel happy. The people who are on it are like this. They talk about it the same way that they talk about uh, CrossFit. But I actually can see now that you mention it, um, because one of the other things that's annoying and amazing about you is your capacity to sleep. But think about this for the holidays. Think about the joy that this gives. So say it's the holidays. You sleep till two because you can. You wake up. Now it's three. Eat everything in sight, watch some Netflix, go back to bed and repeat. That's not real life. That's the holidays. It's the most amazing way to function the holidays that like, that would be peak getting that done. I'm just going to do my regular thing. But then as I have just told you, I've picked up my running. I just ran before this podcast. So basically you brought this up just to tell us that you are above all this. Is that what you're saying? I brought this up to say that I can't do the intermittent fasting. Fuck you, Chris Pratt. He's been doing it. And that was the celebrity angle. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I thought, we'd, I thought we'd agreed that the preamble was sometimes a celebrity free zone. Um, but sure, sure. Um, while we're here, can we also have a ruling on a friend of mine who, you know, loves this podcast, who didn't shave for a couple of days. And then he was like, well, I guess I have a head start on November. I was like, no, that's cheating. You can't have like an October 27th scruff uh, that carries you into Movember. Movember, uh, of course, is the mustache growing competition in November that men do. So what uh, are you supposed to do? Shave on October 31st? I guess. Yeah. Like start growing a mustache for the month of November. It's kind of like Nano Remo, but for facial hair. Right. And for charity. Um, But I was like, you can't start on the 27th. True? Or just like, is he, is he? I think he's fine. I would, sorry, Duanna. I think he's fine. Um. What I will say, though, about Movember, great cause, super glad that they're raising money and raising awareness. But at the beginning, they talked about this mustache growing thing like it would be a sacrifice. Every dude I know who participates in Movember, like in Movember is like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like it's a little, it's, it's, it's fun for them. Look Why at would my it mustache. be a sacrifice? It's like a… It's because like you a, look like a perv. No, it's a hipster entree, like beginner's card. I am not a fan of a mustache look. And I'm not a fan of the hipster look, as you know. I, okay. I mean, this is, this is a podcast. We can't have visual representations. But 
some people who live here who are not the dogs have a really elastic idea of what a hipster is, and it bends around whatever you are not wearing at the time. Either view. Uh, Ahem. Yasik. (laughs) Yasik maybe, but like I've never been a fan of man buns. I've never been a fan of like uh, an ironic messenger bag. Oh, my God. Next, you're going to be like, and you know what's overrated? A pumpkin spice latte. Like, okay. I'm basic. It's, I like a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, but it's, it's hating on man buns is not revolutionary, I don't feel. No. Oh, come on. But like, there are people who are super into that look still. I don't know why. Yeah, but I just think it's any look. It's not, it's not carrying more weight than any other. Anyway, hence my hatred of mustaches. Which somehow got here from, guys, I've been working out all the time. (laughs) But not my hatred of Movember. Movember, although it's over, congratulations, it's a really good movement. I mean, I do really enjoy the people, though, who keep their new look, who are like, well, no, I'm just doing this now. Yeah, There's a couple every year. But I like that. I like when people do something for, this is a fun thing about actors. Sometimes when you work with them, they do a thing for a role, and they're like, no, this is just how I look now. I have an inch of platinum blonde hair. This is just my thing. Well, to your friend, October 27th, that is fine with me. He he gets a pass from me. I disagree. Whatever matters, if that matters. Please delete this podcast. You did not hear that. Anyway. Anyway. Now that we've uh, agreed on nothing. (laughs) Now that everybody hates me for my position on starting to work out in December and… I mean, I start wearing workout clothes, so that's the same, right? (laughs) Yes, Duanna. Yes. Um, Big story. The biggest story, I guess, right now is the Oscar host debacle with Kevin Hart. I mean… It's a debacle, right? I, I… I know it's a debacle. I know it's a problem. And we'll get into all the ways that it is, you know, kind of distasteful and whatnot. But God, it was funny. Um, As I think you mentioned, I was away last week. So I was on vacation and I said to the people I was away with, oh, so you heard about Kevin Hart? And somebody said, he's hosting the Oscars. And I said, he is not hosting the Oscars. Yeah. It's so entertaining. The whiplash of it was crazy and entertaining. Yes. But for our purposes, what's interesting is the article that came out just before he was announced as the host, which was, nobody wants this job. Right. Um, Which makes sense. So, uh, yeah, for the uninitiated and my mom, uh, Kevin Hart was announced on, was it Wednesday? Yep. And... Then very shortly afterward, there's a lot of backlash and controversy uh, because of a number of homophobic tweets that Kevin Hart had tweeted that had been unearthed. And when I say that, like it wasn't four. There were, I think, dozens. There were lots of examples. Right. Uh, And so it was kind of put to him, uh, maybe somewhat under the table, that maybe you can use this platform to apologize and change, to which he said, I don't want to. No, thank you. I already did. No, thank you. And they were like, yeah, but you gotta if you're going to host the Oscars. To which he said. Okay, bye. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) See you later. I'm not trying to make light of this, but it just is so, we talk all the time about people sort of bending or, or changing or whatever in the face of media or doing these rapid about faces. And, uh, I find this all kind of morally repugnant, but he 
didn't change, I guess. Yeah. It's something. But the most interesting part of it for our purposes is why this job is so unpopular or has become so unpopular. There used to be a level of high, high prestige in hosting the Oscars. That's why certain people did it year after year after year. And in recent years, you can't find somebody who wants to do it back to back to back to back. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel doing it two years in a row was in and of itself quite surprising because up to that point, it had been one-off, 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 one-off. Because when we were growing up, little baby pop culture vultures, um, it was basically like a handoff between Billy Crystal and what, Steve Martin every year? Well, Bob Hope did it for a long time, right? Bob, like, I mean, we're going way back, but Bob Hope did it for a long time. And then, yeah, Billy Crystal was the guy most closely associated. And when somebody comes back and does it so many times and has such a great time doing it as he really looked like he did, then you're like, oh, this must be really fun. And then at a certain point, it didn't get, it wasn't fun anymore. And part of the reason it wasn't fun anymore is because the show started losing ratings. And I am not an Oscar scholar to know exactly what year it started to dip and kept dipping, but this is the refrain year after year that the Oscars is not doing as well, that the broadcast, year after year, you'll see like the lowest viewership ever, regardless mm-hmm. of whether it was a good show or a bad show right. or there was a big moonlight scandal. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on the host to do well. Yeah. Which means they throw all kinds of shit at the host. Hey, right. do more, do this, that, and the other. Yeah. Which doesn't result in more viewership. And so that person is then kind of like, I mean, I know you're saying people don't want to do it, but it's also like there's always a backlash the day after the week after of like, well, they won't be invited back. Right. As though it was their fault. Well, that's, let's start there. That's a really interesting place to start because for you and I, for as long as we've been covering the Oscars together and we're over a decade now, we have a partnership. Oh my God. I know. (laughs) Um, And also probably even before we started making Oscars work, I've never turned the Oscars off midway through the Oscars because of the host. No, that's against my religion. (laughs) Exactly. And people who love the Oscars like we do, for more than just our work, also don't turn the Oscars off because of the host. There's probably, and I guess we're now a minority, like a shrinking minority, but for Oscar lovers, and they don't have to worry about us tuning in year after year, We almost don't care who the host is. Like, you know, if there was a host that you didn't like, I'm not convinced that you wouldn't watch the Oscars. I would still probably watch the Oscars. Unless it was like, I don't know, fucking Harvey Weinstein. You know what I mean? Like, Well, so one of the reasons that people don't watch anymore, of course, is because it used to be that that's where you found out who won and what movies and whatnot. Right. And- The rise of the internet means you can find out the next day or hours later or in the moment on Twitter. Like, you don't need to watch to find out. Right. You don't, you can still be a part of it and look. And go to the party. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of Oscar night on Twitter is my favorite day on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like, there's some real fun jokes happening. Um, it's, It's become a different thing than just sitting there. But... The host is always, I mean, let's be honest too. The host is only about the first 23 minutes. Right. They have a big monologue off the top. Usually. Um, what's going to happen? How's it going to be? Oh, they're doing well. Oh, they're not doing well or whatever. They come back after about 10 minutes of awards presenting and you're like, oh, right, them. 
And then they essentially disappear to the point where when they come back around 10 p.m. Eastern, you're like, oh, yeah, there's a host. What's happening? Well, for all the reasons we've just talked about, as you said, Twitter. People don't have to watch the whole show anymore. You don't have to get the answers just by watching the show. There are so many different ways to consume entertainment now. You know, it's not just three major networks that are on TV. Now you have a plethora of different viewing options, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of these reasons still lead back to the host. No, it's not their <laughs> it's not their responsibility. So why are they wearing it? Or like is this do they have to wear it at all? So I mean, I guess the thing is that it started to become a job. You know, like, I think not so long ago we would have said, oh, so-and-so has the honor of being asked to host the Oscars. That's such a nice thing. And then it started being talked about, like, oh, who got the job this year? If you'll indulge me for a second, I just want to read you the Oscar hosts from 1990. I'll be fast. Okay. Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, David Letterman, Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, Whoopi Goldberg, Steve Martin, Billy Crystal, 2005, <laughs> Chris Rock, uh-huh. John Stewart, Ellen DeGeneres, John Stewart, Hugh Jackman, Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, that was 2010. Mm-hmm. So before Chris Rock, it was a series of people who really knew how to do it and thus were having fun. Right. This is the thing that I've been saying for fucking ever. It has to be fun. If you're inviting people to a four-hour party on television and a bunch of people who are not famous are getting up in suits and telling their kids to go to bed, it has to be fun. But it stopped being fun, right? Yeah. I And why did it stop being fun? That is… That is what we're interrogating here. Why did this job stop being fun? Apart from the ratings, one of the reasons people are citing is a lot of them have to bring in their own writing teams. And? So they bring in their own writing teams. Okay. There's very little pay. And maybe the writing teams, depending on who you are, which we'll get to in a second, your writing team, you know, hasn't done this before. So maybe they have bits that get thrown out by the Academy or whatever. Like this is still one of the oldest bodies in Hollywood. They are still one of the most, the Academy, AMPES, is like one of the biggest and most powerful organizations. They can squash a lot of shit. And you can see sometimes where you can see stuff that has been squashed. So I think that everything turns around, as I'm sure you know, I think everything turns around 2011. Right. Right? Right. And we should know who the hosts are in 2011. Yeah, of course. 2011 was hosted, it was an effort to be younger. And so 2011 was hosted by James Franco and Anne Hathaway. Right. And I want to make one fucking point. I love your point. So I have all, like, I could listen to this point for all the time in the world. Are you sure? Because I'm about to be so smug. Everybody was mad at her. Everybody was like, I don't like Anne Hathaway. She's a tryhard. She's so whatever. This is what I, the point I give you because from that night, midway through the show, you were like, fuck you. She's doing the most and he's doing shit. He's doing shit. He fucking slouched in the corner like a guy in group work in grade 11 history and did nothing. 
And she saw that he was doing nothing, giving mm-hmm. her nothing, like basically flipping the bird at the teleprompter yeah. on live television and started working harder and having maybe a little bit of flop sweat, but not that much, frankly. And she had a really impeccable wardrobe of dresses. And he was a giant dick. And that's, I feel, when really the, ugh, those hosts sucked, Mm -hmm. and more accurately, Anne Hathaway sucked, really turned up to a fever pitch. Listen, I I can't give you enough credit for like midway through the show taking that position and continuing to take it and take it and defend her because, as you said, people came out for her. And I wish that we could apply the 2018 perspective or the 2017 to 2018 perspective through Time's Up and all the conversations that we've been having over the last year to 2011 and the Oscars and revisit that. Like, I almost wish we could time travel back and take our mindset to that point and see if people would come up with the same thing. Be well, like watching a woman work her hardest. I, I hope that's what we're doing right now is pointing out that that was happening and that she, the accusations weren't even that gendered that I remember. They were calling her out for working. It was, oh, she's a theater kid. She's such a try hard. She's making such an effort, which... Yeah, I don't think we often say that about men in general, but it was absolutely gendered in that he wore fucking none of it. I'm so mad. We should link to some of my, like, that night madness because I'm still mad about that. Look, independent of hosting the Oscars, there are times when I feel like that criticism of Anne Hathaway can be valid, and I certainly have stood by that. That night, though… I was with you, behind you. I was like, yes, Joanna, this is your point. You're teaching me. I 100% agree. Because what else could she have done? What else could she have done but try to keep the fucking show afloat with all the ratings pressure and all the people watching and 120 countries or whatever the hell it is? It was unconscionable. And so what did the Academy do? They were like, uh, I guess, I guess, uh, Billy Crystal? Yeah. So Billy Crystal comes back and hosts in 2012. So it was a correction of the correction. Right. Which, okay. Or an overcorrection of a correction. Right. Followed by Seth MacFarlane. Fuck you while I'm up. Yeah. Uh, Then Ellen DeGeneres, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, apparently the only guy who still wants the job. Right. We'll get there. Chris Rock, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel. And here we are. Not Kevin Hart. Not Kevin Hart. Clock is ticking. It's almost Christmas. Right. So, yeah, it's it's easy to see. Like, none of those names that I listed, except maybe uh, Billy Crystal 2004 and before, are names where you're like, oh, they were awesome. They were great. You know what? I enjoyed Jimmy Kimmel, but I felt strongly that he held back, which then what's the point of having Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah. You know what I mean? The I remember that run of, I think it was 2013 to 2015, when Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosted the Golden Globes together three times in a row. Remember that? Yeah. They, because they knew they had a three-year contract, they kind of essentially were like, they can't fire us, yeah. and went for it. And at least I felt like they were showing up and doing the thing. I don't even feel like, yeah, I don't feel like Jimmy Kimmel did the thing that much. I didn't have any problems, but I wasn't like, oh, he is really doing it. And 
it, nobody else has been like, there's nobody on this list that you'd be like, oh yeah, they really nailed it. John Stewart. We all love John Stewart. I don't remember that at all. Well, I think that people think that Ellen nailed it because Ellen is generally just so likable. And if you think about the talk show and how popular she is, sure, there wasn't a major fuck up, but I don't know that Ellen hosting felt fresh. And the problem is that they want freshness, but they don't want freshness. Right. And with the notable exception of James Franco and Anne Hathaway, everybody who has hosted has been a a live performer, a variety show performer. Like Hugh Jackman is kind of a bit of an anomaly, but not really because he's so theatrical and has done so much live performance and sort of showy performance, right? Right. And that maybe is the problem. Like you said, Ellen didn't feel like much because it's kind of more of the same. One of the reasons it was exciting to watch Tina and Amy is because they, at that time, were on scripted shows and you didn't get to see them be fresh and new. Yep. Why is it exciting to watch Jimmy Kimmel host the Oscars and then walk across the street to his own after show right. like he does four days a week? Okay, so let's apply your the thing that you've been teaching us and we've been talking about for over a decade or a decade now. Let's apply your want and need mm. theory mm-hmm. to this. Okay, good. What do we want? Or they? What do they want? Right. And I mean, I will apply us there too because on Oscar night of all nights, even though we make work out of it, as you say, we're also watching as viewers and being fans and being all excited about it. We want to be surprised. We Mm -hmm. want some moments of like, (gasps) they said that? Yeah. Oh my God, that's so amazing. We want some cutaways? Yes. Oh, for sure you want some cutaways. You want some, but you want, um, it's like a stunt. You want to see somebody essentially working without a net. Remember Circus of the Stars? Yes. Do you actually? I do. Guys, I'm just going to humbly submit that Circus of the Stars was Fucking amazing television. Listen, Circus of the Stars and Battle of the Network Stars, I want to come back. If you are too young to know what the hell we're talking about, (laughs) a little bit fuck you, but it was exactly what it sounded like. It was all of these network stars, and they would do circus acts. (laughs) Or get in the pool and race each other. Right. But like, yeah, it was like a mat. It was like American Gladiators, but with celebrities. Yes. But they would always do, like, there would be, you'd always be waiting for Nicole Eggert to do the high wire act. <laughs> or, like, I don't know, David Charvet would be training lions or yeah. something. And they'd say, remember, folks, she's working without a net. And that was the most exciting moment. Right. She's working without a net. She's totally out of her element. Uh-huh. Right? And... That was what was so fucking breathtaking is like, this is not what they do. So is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Let's see. Okay. But are you answering want or need here? I'm answering want. I'm answering we want some thrills. We want to see what's going to happen. Like, I don't want to see, oh, I don't know, Jennifer Lawrence host, for example, because nothing that could happen is going to phase her at all. Yeah. She's going to go like, well, the teleprompter just fucked up, so I guess I'm just going to be like, hey, George, how you doing? Yeah. Do you always sit and yeah. like… should fi- be fine. Like, fine, but that's boring, yeah. right? I wrote, I think, about Sandra Bullock last year that if uh, if the host had been assassinated halfway through the show, Sandra Bullock would have been like, uh, can you get me a scotch and we'll keep going? Like, she would have <laughs> been fine. Right. I don't want that. I want a bit of danger. Yeah. 
but I also want to believe that they're having fun in the danger. Okay. This is the appropriate time to tell you that I am and have been uh, a fan of actually doing the flying trapeze. It is the most fucking fun and terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I want to have that feeling as a viewer. That's the want, right? What's your need? Any other wants from you before we go on to me? Well, I think that probably this is not a settleable dilemma, but I do think most people want it to be shorter. I mean, I guess so, but I think what you lose when it's shorter… Here, look. There's a thing in screenwriting that when people say, make it shorter, what you lose are the jokes and the funny moments and the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of… I agree with you. Maybe it's not settleable because… Yeah. What you lose when you make it shorter is the spontaneity and the moments and the holy shits. Yeah. Which is what people watch live TV for. I'm not saying I want it to be shorter. Like, you know, you and I have never complained. Like, we've never looked at each other and been like, fuck, this is three hours. Like, I can't… Listen, I love the Oscars. So if the Oscars was a whole day, I'm not one of the people who would complain. I do want a sidebar, though. Here's the thing about going to the Oscars and covering the Oscars that I forget until I'm there every single year. The show starts at five o'clock then. Yes. <laughs> it starts at five. So it should be over when it's 8.30. It should be like, oh, we have the whole night to get organized yeah. and get started and whatnot. Somehow it never is. Oh, fuck. Like somehow with the like, I don't know, we got to shower and and order food and put up cards and things. Somehow well, we it's still… yell at each other for an hour, but well, that's moments work. We, that yeah. counts. But it's still 11.30 before we start typing. So yeah. whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, it's still 11.30. It it's doesn't matter. It's a long matter. fucking night. Anyway. But again, I'm not complaining. I'm not one of those people. But I do think a general observation, probably not settleable tonight, right now, is that they want it to be shorter. Right. And even the Academy can't figure that out because it's disrespectful to cut up the, the like, the tech categories, right? Or the in-memoriams. That's or right. Or the five songs yeah. and only two of them are ever good. That's right. And I don't think we here are going to ever advocate for the cutting out of, like, tech, the work of the tech people. Hell no. Exactly. And I do appreciate the Oscars for trying to innovate with some of those things, yeah. like the writing awards where they read bits of the script yeah. and show you them and so forth. So here is not the place where we are going to be like, get rid of the fucking, I don't know, costume, makeup, whatever. No. Those Fine. are very, very important jobs. So that's what you want. What do you need? What do we need? We need, and this is a, well, what do we need? Well, and this is a bigger, bigger conversation for the Academy and the Oscars. We need some sort of update, right? What they've been looking for is a perfect formula to be able to appeal to popular movies people have seen and the artistic. We need, frankly, I think we need movie stars. Interesting. Give me names. Like well, off the top of your head. Julia. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Michael B. Jordan. Um, Denzel Washington. Okay. Sandra Bullock. But they could do it. Like I'm not worried about that. First of all, they wouldn't. We know this, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah, the, the budget and the schedule would have to change significantly for any of those people to be like, why would I do it from up there when I could just be sitting here? Yeah. 
and be at the bar half the time. Yeah. And when I, I mean, I don't need, like, I'm not saying Julia Roberts should host the Oscars, but there is like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and when they started moving to like the comedian talk show host thing, as you say, the live wire was gone because these people live wire all day, every day. Right. And yet. Right? Yes, absolutely. But they need it at the same time because they want somebody who's not going to freeze. I will never forget the first time I worked at a at the Canadian uh, Oscars at what were then called the Genie Awards. I watched very seasoned actors freeze up when it was time to present yeah. because they weren't used to live. As you know, live TV is its own thing. Yes. Um, and even people who are experienced in other ways can freeze up or get tongue-tied. So I have a modest radical proposal. Okay. I think we need the live. I think we don't need a movie star. I think part of the whole thing of like wanting somebody to like go in and go as hard as they need to is somebody who doesn't have to look at their boss on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, whatever. Right. Okay. Radical proposal. I think we get a huge music star. Get somebody who can host, but for whom this is not an audition. My pitches off the top of my head, number one, Adele. Get Adele to host the Oscars. Number one, she knows how to fucking host. Her banter at her shows is amazing. Number two, she would freak out adorably at all the movie stars because that's kind of the thing too. You want to be like, oh my God, Julia Roberts is right there. And it feels really false when Chris Rock says that because you know that they see each other at like the Malibu Starbucks or whatever. Right. You with me? Yeah. I don't know if I'm with you on Adele per se, but I see where you're going. You see it's where I'm going. It's a starting point. I'm not, I'm not backing down from Adele because it's like she has that thing about being both of us and of them. Yes. And what I like about that was your point about not having to audition. Like, I don't think that Adele has Oscar aspirations of acting herself, unlike a fucking Justin Timberlake or who actually <laughs> I have maintained over a few years, I would like to see him host. Bite your tongue. No, I actually would like to see him. It would give me a lot of pleasure to see him watching people collect awards knowing that he won't get one. I, uh, whatever. <laughs> he goes on Saturday Night Live and that is what it is. If you don't like my proposal of Adele… I like where you're going. Well, I get it. But here's her. Well, yeah. no, I I pitch it as a full pitch, not just <laughs> a starter. But if it wasn't that, uh, I would follow up with John Legend. I knew you were going to say John Legend. Did you? Now I yes. know people are going to be like, well, but what about Chrissy Teigen? But no, the whole point of Chrissy Teigen is that Chrissy Teigen is us. Chrissy Teigen says shitty things on Twitter and mocks him and is amazing. Yes. He's the one who does live performances all the time. He did a fucking bang-up job in Jesus Christ Superstar. He could do it in spades, but again, he's not auditioning. John Legend does mm -hmm. appear in movies from right. time to time, but he's not, as you say, he's not a movie actor. Right. That's not what he's aiming at, unless it's the live-action remake of Arthur. He's got the pedigree. Excuse he me. Has... That was a great joke. Great. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the pedigree. He has an Oscar himself. Mm -hmm. He's... I mean, he's an EGOT winner, no? 
Yeah, I believe he is. Yeah. I think he just became an EGOT winner. Sure. So yeah, he has the Oscar. He has the pedigree. Uh, okay. What, how does he bring the live wire? Or is it Chrissy's tweets? I mean, that's part of it for sure. Um, But I think one of the things about John Legend that I've always loved, and this does go back to the Arthur thing, is he always has that image of being like, can you believe we're here? Yeah. Like, can you believe we're doing this? He has a wide-eyed kid thing still Mm -hmm. uh, that even though he has a skill level, it's not the same as a… He has a swagger, but it's not a Hollywood swagger, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. So… Okay. That's a place where I would go. Okay. So I'm going to jump off of you being inspired by this and I'm going to say, I think there's a better option here. I assume you have a name. Yeah, I do. Go on. Drake. We know he can host a a show. We know he can host a show. Yep. Yep. There is the fresh factor that everybody needs. What new audience are you going to be bringing in? Well… That Twitter audience that might stay home or might go to the party instead of watching is definitely going to tune in for Drake. And Drake, what I love about that idea is Drake's not afraid. Like, he has faced worse than, you know, uh, I don't know, Kate Blanchett smiling wanly at a joke. He can do it. Uh, He has hosted Saturday Night Live and done really well. He's hosted the ESPYs. Mm -hmm. He's hosted the Junos in Canada. Mm -hmm. So he's done live award shows. He brings the cool factor. Like, you know, the old people in the audience are going to be like, oh, this Drake, but then their grandkids are going to be texting them or calling them like, Grandpa, you know, go to the fucking Oscars and get me a picture with Drake. So there's that. Yeah, I don't dislike it at all. Could definitely be done. He most certainly has his own team and writers and all that kind of thing. He'd be great at the opening musical montage. All of the above. Um, If Degrassi gets mentioned at the Oscars, I might faint. Um, I really like that idea. The problem is that Drake doesn't have to. No, he doesn't have to. Yeah. Um, And this is kind of part of it too. You want it to be in a sweet spot where it is somebody who doesn't audition, as we said, but somebody who doesn't need it at the same time. And so I have even crazier, more radical proposal. You're going to hate it, but I think it would be really good. Okay. Well, I'm closing my eyes. Get Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham has guest hosted for Craig Ferguson. She at one time was in talks to star in a scripted version of a woman with a late night talk show. She can do it, but also is not ever going to be, she's not in competition with any of these people. She's not going to be in any of these movies. We're not watching her audition. She's not going to try hard. She knows how to do a fucking joke. She has torn through those 75 page Amy Sherman Palladino scripts. So we know she knows her way around words and she can improv. It's super unexpected. And it's not like we've had a woman host in a long ass time. I know for sure that she could do it. You can say to me, eh, she's not that recognized, but yeah, Gilmore Girls is every fucking where. And yeah, there are going to be people who are going to watch it for that. But she could do it in a way that allows you the high wire, allows you the working without a net, but doesn't pull focus from, oh my God, it's Julia Roberts. Well, now that you said Lauren Graham, I feel like 
I'm dreading what their eventual pick is going to be. Why? Because you know it's not going to be Lauren Graham. Can we just not live in that fantasy world? It's not going to be Lauren Graham. Look, I'm I like you would never mortgage your house on it being Lauren Graham. I'm here's what I would mortgage my house on. Let's say that right now, whoever does have that cigarette chomping boss has to have like 10 names on a list by tomorrow morning. I'll bet you money Lauren Graham is number six or seven on like four of those lists. And I'll bet you money number one on the list is probably James Corden. Oh, sure. And how I arrived at that is Craig Ferguson. Of course, he doesn't do it anymore. And his time slot is James Corden's time slot. So, and James Corden hosted the Tonys and he'd be great and all the rest of it. And that would be fine. Would he, like, I mean, he's another James, like it's, it's, it's the Academy's safest bet. He would be adept, put it that way. But yes, again, I think this is a backhanded way of you saying Lauren Graham would be great and it's an inspired idea. It's a good idea. I'm not convinced on the idea. Like I, my main kicker is I don't think enough people know her. I don't think it matters. I don't think anybody is tuning in to watch the show because of the host. Like you said it yourself, you would never turn it off because of the host. And people who watch the Oscars, nobody was watching for fucking Hugh Jackman either. I love you, Hugh Jackman, but nobody was watching for him. Nobody was watching for Seth MacFarlane. It's, I don't think that is the deciding factor. And if you want, like, look, I don't know for a fact, again, I'm not a textbook writer, but I bet you money, the people that aren't watching, the people who they want are the young people, the millennials. There's definitely a factor there where you would bring them in more so if they bring in her former co-star and writing partner, Mae Whitman. I mean, now I'm getting a bit esoteric, but Lauren Mm -hmm. Graham and Mae Whitman have Shows that they are adapting and pitching together. They have a real nice, easy rhythm. That would be a thing. You get younger people in. Um, there's a what there's a, like five younger people? No, Come I on. don't. No, no, no. I don't think. I think. Uh, look, I'm not. I love you, Mae Whitman, but I don't think that I'm trying to say that that's a giant millennial draw. Um, but I mean, at that point, you may as well ask Zendaya to host. Oh. There we go. There we go. There we go. You just like actually woke up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not feeling really the Lauren Graham and then the Mae Whitman, but I think uh, we're whatever. getting somewhere have, with the Zendaya. You have you can have Mae Whitman guess. Look, Lauren Graham is going to be able to do it, and it wouldn't be a bad thing either for the Academy to have a woman over 40 in that kind of a position. I'm not saying I wouldn't check off the the Lauren Graham. And if I were a decision maker, I wouldn't consider it for like many, many beats after Drake and Zendaya. <laughs> yes. But it's never going to happen. Ever. Sure. Uh, but again, though, yeah, but look where we are. We never thought we'd be here either, where two <laughs> days after the announcement of a host, the host is like, no, sorry, bye. And they don't have a backup. So this is a little bit a new day. So fine. Okay. We got, uh, we got Drake. our- Drake, Adele, got some Lauren Graham, some Zendaya. Is there somebody we're missing? Um, and obviously we're leaving out the obviousnesses of Tiffany Haddish or the Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph combo or uh, uh, what else do people want to see that isn't going to happen? Uh, you know, yeah, like Emma Stone and Jennifer Lawrence are not hosting together, guys. Like, <laughs> put that aside. Um, and I think we don't want them because those are the people who are supposed to be there. That's part of it, right? You want somebody who 
is supposed to be a host, not who would otherwise be partying with their friends. And it's like, sorry, I'll get back to you after I read the morning announcements. The morning announcements. I love that. It's like, I read morning announcements. So did I. Um, Yes. I... Look, I like the outside of the box thinking. I don't think we should kid ourselves that the Academy is going to go outside of the box. They'd be lucky if they thought of Drake and asked Drake. Um, I think that that would probably be, you know, Tiffany Haddish is not going to do it because at this point she's the plan B. And I I wouldn't advise that for Tiffany Haddish. No, especially because she was just in a movie with Kevin Hart. You don't… That's right. Absolutely There's not, not going to be any world in which if you are the team of advisors for Tiffany Haddish, you take it this year. You say, no, let's just wait a year or two. Absolutely. Um, the, the people that we've put up there don't lose face being the plan B. If there's a Drake involved, there is like, hey, we just didn't know that this was a possibility, but if it is a possibility, we're not seeing it as a plan B. There's no like a lesser than situation happening here. Right. And I want to be clear. It's not that I am out of touch. It's not that I don't think that the Academy is going to snort their faces off at a lot of the suggestions I'm making. But we have to remember that not only are we in an unprecedented situation with the hosting, but we are not far off from ye old great scandal of 2016 yeah. of the Moonlight slash uh, La right. La Land debacle. They are in trouble. They don't look good these days. And I think it might just be time for some creative thinking where an enterprising young intern or somebody could make a wacky suggestion that could work. Yeah. Drake. I mean, <laughs> that's not actually, no, my terror is that it's going to be like, and now starring Instagram influencer so-and-so. Yeah. Who's far bigger than any of us know and we don't care. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. And what is the challenge here is that, number one, all the restrictions, right? What you can and can't do, what you can and can't say, the kind of decorum that needs to be observed and all that. But on the flip side of that, the person who takes this has to have a really, like a giant ego has to be like, I'm going to come in and this is going to be the shit. And that's why, God, it would be my dream, Drake, at this point. Interesting that you say… He does have that ego. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because if we were going to, if I was going to cut you off in that sentence, I would have said they have to have a leather skin, like a tough ass hide. Um, And I think that is also what a lot of the people we've talked about have in common. Uh, but that's tougher to find than you think. Mm-hmm. Like Kate McKinnon walked through my mind, but Kate McKinnon only does stuff that she knows she can kill. Yeah. Um, I I will be really interested to see who says yes. So here's the other thing. Time is so ticking right now. So ticking. Um, you know, we are in the last week, I think, and we'll talk about this more later, when people even pick up the phone before the holidays. So I I, I struggle to think of… Well, like, I think the voting period for the nomination process is beginning soon or has begun. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're voting on the nominees, like what the final five actors are going to be, five actresses, whether, how many films, 10, 8, 9, whatever, five… So it is, it is tight. 
when are the actual nominations announced? January like 24th or something. Right. Yeah. It's it's getting right up there. And right up there. Yeah. And on top of everything else, you need somebody who has that eight-week hole in their schedule because it's basically an all-day, everyday endeavor between the, the writing and the talking and the fittings yeah. and the pre-tapes and whatnot. All right, Drake. <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's probably too busy. I think busy. he's on fucking tour. So um, I think yeah. it's going to be a wild card. Guys, you have it's a little… It's James Corden. Who are we kidding? I, I hope not. I think even James Corden would be like, eh. Actually… Like, mm. he doesn't want to be second fucking fiddle to Kevin Hart either. It's not only that. I think James Corden is CBS, right? Oscars are ABC. Yeah. So you have that situation to deal with too. Send us your thoughts. Uh, if you know an intrepid young Hollywood assistant, whisper them to them also. But I'm, I'm, I feel like there's probably some other real like secret ringers that would, that would really ring a bell here. Can I just for fun look up Drake tour dates? Oh my God. <laughs> Let us know what you think. There are no tour dates. He's not on tour. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, someone I don't think we expected to talk about on Show Your Work, at least right now, uh, Megan Fox. Yeah, big headline. So Megan Fox is... Now hosting like a travel show, travel mystery. Can you call it that? Uh, yeah, like a like a kind of a pseudo sciencey show. Yeah, um, it's a four part. It's a mini series essentially. We don't really use that word anymore, but it's called Legends of the Lost, and it airs on Tuesdays in December on the Travel Channel. Right. So and that's so, what she's promoting in this New York Times article. She's exploring like archaeological mysteries and some mythology. I'm a little bit confused about the concept because she, I think, proposes alternative theories and then the scientists come in and tell her if there's any scientific basis to her alternative theories, right? My favorite uh, topic that the article lists as being explored in Legends of the Lost is the existence of prehistoric giants in North America. That's a topic that's going to be discussed in some way. Anyway, she describes herself as like, if it's to be a literal Indiana Jones, who's to say? So Megan Fox, Indiana Jonesing, kind of, sort of, on this show. But a TV presenter, a TV host. Right. And, you know, when we were talking about this, uh, this is a thing now that people are doing more often, not just coming off our conversation about who's going to host the Oscars, but I think there are more opportunities for people to do little one-offs like this, little things they find interesting, uh, little side projects or host things without it being a full step away from their career or sure. what they're known for. And I guess the gossipy, snarky comment here would be like, well, maybe the rules have dried up, right? Like if you're thinking about Megan Fox her contemporaries, what film offers are available. 
what are the film offers available? I mean, that might be true, but also it's it's four episodes, so I don't know if it's a definitive move in the same way that it would be if, you know, she signed on to The View, right? right. Like, it's a, it, it's, it can be a project to fill a gap without being a real shift, but your point is well taken. Yeah, to to that point, it has been a while since she's been in a movie, like, or TV show. Sure. Acting. Yeah. yeah. But whatever. I mean, that's really not the focus of our conversation. It is, some of it is the pivot. Like, as you said, people are dabbling. You know, there's not one set thing. We've seen more and more that you can host, you can do a comedy show, you can do a series. Write a, a book. movie. Write a book. Whatever. Which I love. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, suffice it to say, Legends of the Lost is not the headline in the New York Times article that came out. No. The headline is, the headline is when she's asked about Me Too and the sexual harassment conversation that has been happening in Hollywood, um, what her contribution to it is and her response. Right. And her response was? Well, what she says is, quote, even with the Me Too movement and everyone coming out with stories, and one could assume that I probably have quite a few stories, and I do, I didn't speak out for many reasons. I just didn't think based on how I'd been received by people and by feminists that I would be a sympathetic victim. And I thought if there ever were a time where the world would agree that it's appropriate to victim shame someone, it would be when I come forward with my story. Whoa. Then she goes on to say that she doesn't actually have anything to elaborate on because, quote, I also feel like I'm not the universal hammer of justice. This is not to say that other people shouldn't do what they feel is right, but in my circumstance, I don't feel it's my job to punish someone because they did something bad to me. Interesting. So in the interests of due diligence, um, last year when Megan Fox was promoting uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, she talked about the way that women are undervalued in film and uh, kind of talked about uh, about that in a promotional interview. And so the New York Times uh, follows up with that saying that you suggested last year that the public owes you an apology. So this is a really interesting set of things to say. And I'll be the cynical one here. And I hope that I'm not falling into the trap that she's pointing out that people do and say that even by saying nothing, she has created a hell of a headline. Oh, she has. And in saying nothing, it has made us think about what the substance of this headline might be. And your immediate thought, or I think if you know enough about her career, your immediate thought goes to, okay, let's go back to her career, her old roles, and what she was known for. And you land on Transformers and then Michael Bay. Yes, of course. And, you know, she was the, I mean, I don't know who she replaced when she became the hot girl, um, the sort of… Like action movie hot girl? Yeah. Um, yeah, that she was all of a sudden like filling a slot that maybe we didn't know that we needed, right? She was sexy. She was hot. 
She was hot despite having a brachydactyly type D, the club thumb that I share. Um, And she was all of a sudden like the de facto fantasy of everyone. And that's kind of what she was referring to when saying maybe that Hollywood owed her an apology, that she had been A, objectified, B, underestimated, C, uh, treated like, uh, you know, a, a sex vehicle or all of the above. And digging a little deeper, she was objectified by a certain director who you could say when she spoke out against him or when she started to show her independence and streak of defiance, some might say he cut her off. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, look, we have all heard terrible stories about Michael Bay. She talks about uh, how she says that sometimes his directions to her were literally be hot. Uh, In a different publication, she explains that. But he was by no means the only one who was acting that way or objectifying her. Like, she was basically keeping Maxim alive at one point, right? Right. By being that hot girl. Um, So there were many, many people ready to subscribe to that Megan Fox brand. That's right. And so to your point in saying nothing, really, and getting these headlines, we're now sort of examining the Megan Fox career from this lens, which to their credit, the Mary Sue had done last year in November with the headline, So when are we all going to apologize to Megan Fox for what we let Hollywood do to her? Right. And I have to point out something that is uh, just adjacent here, but that floored me when I read it in the New York Times article. Megan Fox is only 32 years old. I know. Did you know that? Yes. I thought something else. I mean, partly it's because she's been married for a long time. She has three children. Um, So I think I, in my head, I thought she was sort of permanently 39 for the last seven years, but, and that's not, uh, any sort of slam on her age or looks or 39 is awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's young and thus she was young in all these experiences that she's talking about in Transformers with Michael Bay, et cetera. She was a very, very young person. So I can see why if, you were a very young person and like dancing at the edge of this conversation is, oh, well, yeah, you were kind of super objectified, but didn't you profit from it? Say people, maybe the people that she's saying would want to say bad things if mm-hmm. she came out about it. Um, you know, it's tricky, right? Because it's hard to, now we're in a conversation where we're having to say, well, at what point are people responsible for, or not, now we're having to say, at what point are people uh, aware of how they're being portrayed? And at what point do we feel like they get to have or should have or want to feel like they have a say in the way that they're portrayed or in the roles that they take? Like a lot of people who are a lot less famous than Megan Fox would be like, guys, I'm an out-of-work actor. I will do the fuck I need to do to make my car payment. Right? Right. Right. There's no criticism there. Well, you know, before she talks about this in the paragraph before, she, you know, says that she may have been ahead of her time. Um, She's asked about 
the fact that in the past she has spoken out about how women are not treated equally in the business and how they're at a disadvantage. And so she goes on to say, I don't want to say this about myself, but let's say that I was ahead of my time. And so people weren't able to understand. Instead, I was rejected because of qualities that are now being praised in other women coming forward. And because of my experience, I feel it's likely that I will always be just out of the collective understanding. I don't know if there will ever be a time where I'm considered normal or relatable or likable, which is the intersection of many of the things that we try and unpack and wrestle on this podcast, the idea of being likable and who gets to be likable, who gets to be relatable, and then the consequences of likable and unlikable, which is believable. Um, because this comment that she makes about how she's, quote, received by people and by feminists that I would be a sympathetic victim, these are, this is opening up something very thorny and very complicated that many feminists have wanted to interrogate and been afraid to because it's such a tricky topic. Who are the women we want to believe and will believe? And even beyond Me Too, if you just go back to high school dynamics, the pretty girl, right? You know, and what are the advantages that the pretty girl had? And what are the disadvantages that the pretty girl has? Do we even have to care about having disadvantages if you're a pretty girl? Because, like, you're getting everything everything anyway. Well, I actually want to just pivot on that point for a second because part of maybe what she's referring to is she's clearly more articulate and intelligent than maybe a lot of people give her credit for or know of. And she's speaking in a very uh, roundabout way here. I want to do my best to boil down what she's saying a little bit uh, because it sounds as though what she's saying is because of either how I look or the perceived sexiness that I portray that people don't take me as seriously as they would if I were, you know, an actress in prestige dramas or something like that. Like that's, am I oversimplifying? No. I just want to be clear that I feel like that's what she's getting at, yeah. but it's all in really cloaked language. Right. I was in blockbuster movies often. Where- I was wearing bikinis or whatever. Right, where shit blew up and mm-hmm. there weren't like long Shakespearean monologues. Um, and m- because of that, I'm not sure that the other people who… The cognoscenti yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, do you remember when um, my… M- do you remember when um, my Bialik… Stepped in it or was criticized. Oh, very, very much. Okay, so she wrote the op-ed. It was in the New York Times. And she was like, and this was at the height of it, right? Last year. It was last year. It was uh, weeks or so after sort of the concept of uh, hotel room meetings and Harvey Weinstein had come out. And she was like, well, I've never had this experience because people didn't want to hit on me. That's right. Right? She, Essentially. Uh, it, almost in so many words. Yeah. I remember also writing an angry rant about this. But she basically said, well, um, you know, I benefited from not being hot because I was never in a vulnerable position. Right. And I knew better as a result or something. It right. It was both victim blaming yes. and a bit self 
pitying for, yes. uh, you know, dealing with her looks. Right. And yet I feel bad even saying that because Maya Bialik in particular has been in the business since the late 80s, early 90s when there was much less of an appetite for somebody who wasn't traditional hot, right? Like yeah. I do believe she probably met with some bias and some prejudice. I think it was a yeah. weird reaction to pat herself on the back for it. Like that's a weird yes, reaction. But- for sure. But I think in this conversation, if it's a spectrum, on the one hand, you have what Megan Fox is saying and on the other, you've got the Mayan Bialik, right? Right. And, and this is, this is, these are the points that are like, woman-on-woman criming each other. And we are all in the mix of this as women. That's right. And especially, and this is where your high school analogy comes back because we're not ranking those women based on, again, I feel badly that I didn't know Megan Fox was this erudite uh, as she comes off in this interview uh, because we're ranking these women on how hot they are because that's the first way, not the only way, but it's the first way that you encounter people in Hollywood. It's a face. It's a magazine cover. It's a dress. It's always about the looks first. So I understand why both of those women come at this from that perspective. So I really enjoy this and I don't know that we're going to be able to like solve it today, but at the very least we've established a framework or at least some boundaries where all these thorny issues are happening, right? You've got the Mayan Bialik's on one side who are like, well, I mean, you know, Megan Fox had advantages that I never had. Basically. And then you've got Megan Fox on the other hand saying, here's my disadvantage. If I were to speak out or when I do, my disadvantage may be that am I going to be believed? What's going to be used against me? Is it going to be the fact that, you know, in Transformers, I wore Daisy Dukes and bent over a car? Right. And of course, this is coming not far after a bit of a brouhaha where Natalie Portman talked about uh, the way that Jessica Simpson was portrayed on a magazine cover wearing a bikini but saying she was a virgin. And those were the two sides of, uh, you know, that sort of 2003 coin, right? That Natalie Portman was a high-class uh, sure actor who Young was in star. prestige yeah. projects. And Jessica Simpson quite literally wore the Daisy Dukes, uh, right. was the Daisy Duke in that in that period. That I mean, we- it's my position that Jessica Simpson misunderstood the bigger context of what Natalie Portman was trying to say in that society tries to sexualize these pop stars and what messages women in general and people in general were taking from that. But sure, I mean, yes, in our framework on this spectrum, these are all the previously thought to be opposing views that are now finding themselves in one space, the same space. Well, what's so interesting about it is that we're talking about, I I said 2003, this conversation about Mayim and Megan is 2017, 2018. And then I'm reminded of that amazing Mad Men episode uh, in season one, uh, Jackie or Marilyn. Do you remember that? It was an episode where they're talking about uh, right. two different bras. Right. And every woman is a Jackie or a Marilyn. Right. And Jackie, of course, being Jackie Onassis or Jackie Kennedy at the time, who yeah. was meant to be classy and slim and polite wife. and outstanding and wife. Yes. Wife. And Marilyn, yeah. who was… Mistress. Yeah. 
and pouring out of her dress and happy birthday, Mr. President. It was binary. Yes. You are a wife Mm -hmm. or you're a whore. That was the only option. I choose that word on purpose, not because I believe that, but because that was the mentality that was being enforced. Right. And so, yeah, we're looking at generations of women who only saw two ways to be, who could only fit into Mm -hmm. one or the other. And if they didn't fit perfectly into one of those slots was always told, hey, you're lacking in this way. You are a less good Jackie or Marilyn. And I guess what we're seeing too is the transfer of that binary from the home or the personal life into the professional life. A hundred percent. Because this is work, right? Like Mayim, Megan, Jessica, Natalie, these are work constructs, binaries that your work is forced into. You're either one or the other. Are you the serious prestige actress or are you the action blow shit up actress? But that's before we even get to the work, right? She says that sometimes her direction, uh, Megan Fox says that sometimes her direction in Transformers was be hot, which is, you know, that's insulting. But we're not even getting to the skill level of these people as performers. And it's kind of heartbreaking. And you sort of realize, as you say, that there is kind of residual trauma from decades of this being the way that they're processed first. I think I've talked a lot about Ask a Manager, which is a website about work and about workplaces where um, questions about your work are answered. And there are, I'd say usually a couple of times a month, maybe three times a month, there's a question about is this or that a wardrobe mm-hmm. appropriate for work? And it is always, always, always from women right? Yeah. And sometimes it's, oh, my boss said this was inappropriate or can I get this haircut or whatever. And we just don't look at men this way. We don't. And thus, they don't think of themselves this way. Will I be believed if I say this? Will people perceive me as having advantages because of my looks? I mean, look, if there's a very good looking man out there listening, he'd be like, yeah, I have had advantages because of my looks, like, and yeah. they've been advantages. Like, I, I'm oversimplifying a little, yeah, but not that much. It's not this sort of deal with the devil either way mm-hmm. that all these women are dealing with. Well, what's, what's really great about this Mary Sue article that was written in November of 2017 by Princess Weeks, the uh, So When Are We All Going to Apologize to Megan Fox?, is that, you know, this is clearly someone who's a Transformers fan and as a teenager was a fan of her character, Megan Fox's character in Transformers, um, which was a girl who knew how to fix cars. Right. Who was kind of a badass, who was like, I'm going to fix these cars. I'm going to like keep on like, I don't remember the movies very well, but I do remember her like, being able to run equally as quickly and do as many jumps in the car and out of the car as Shia LaBeouf. Right. She had to keep up. She had to keep up, but she was also like not the damsel in distress, right? She wasn't just your, I don't know, tropey pretty girl who needed to be rescued. She had some skills. Unfortunately, the point of this article is that number one, she was written out for a variety of reasons, Michael Bay, et cetera, et cetera. But the focus was on the hotness as opposed to 
what Michaela, the character, was bringing. Hey, do you remember? She was like a mechanic. Like she knew her shit. And she wasn't just standing around being hot, although being hot was something she was really good at doing too. Right. So it's all kinds of conversations that we're having now that we weren't having when the movies came out because it was socially acceptable to focus on the hot at the expense of the other. Right. And the assumption that if you were, if that's what you were supplying, the hot, then there was the assumption that maybe you weren't supplying mm-hmm. anything else, which is, I think, something that we've probably all been guilty of. Yeah. Um, and that we're we're probably deconditioning ourselves from. Well, you say that, and yet she still sounds wary of judgment. And the way she frames it, it's the judgment of women. Here's my thing. Like, full amnesty in this room. Do you think she's wrong? I don't. I don't either. So, we are deprogramming, all of us, acknowledging that, like, we were conditioned and still trying to uncondition and apologizing for our mistakes, trying to learn from them. Hi, Kevin Hart. Um, (laughs) But not quick enough for someone like Megan Fox, even in this environment where woman after woman after woman has come out, shared her story, and been embraced, she still doesn't feel like she will be. Right. Because, again, just to boil down to what we're talking about, and I am not – I'm purely speculating here – But if we talk about stories from someone like Gwyneth Paltrow, Mm -hmm. who says, I went to his home, I engaged in, you know, the conversation until I became uncomfortable, and then I left and I never talked about it, and maybe I reap benefits or whatever, and everybody says, oh, oh, wow, oh. Yeah. Oh, Gwyneth. Yeah. And if Megan Fox had that same story, again, I am speculating. Yeah. Um, I know nothing except Hollywood is Hollywood. Would she be treated with that level of gentleness? No, she wouldn't. We know this. No, we know this. I mean, Christine Blasey Ford wasn't treated with gentleness. So, Dr. Ford. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But this, but see, even then, it's sort of like, well, the most respectable woman, a woman who never, who had no reproach. And then we're implying, well, then there must be some people who do have reproach. And it's, it's so difficult and it's that kind of thing that happens where you go, wow, how many knots in my own brain do I have to unpick before I realize what's built in here? But not only that, then how many people are finding themselves in precarious positions at work who are more Megan Fox than Maya ba- uh, Bialik? Based on nothing other than how other people perceive, yeah, their looks, their voices, their thumbs. So, I mean, I know we weren't going to reach a solution, but what is our sort of takeaway that Megan Fox has taught us? I, you know, this is another unfair thing. So let's just pile unfair on top of unfair. Uh But I have grown in respect for her from this conversation uh, because I, reading the, the line, I was ahead of my time, I wasn't sure that that was what I understood it to be. Um, and yet I still want more from her. That's not fair. I want to know. I want her to say she clearly has 
intelligence and has a voice and is able to express herself. So I'm like, well, I want more. I want you to say, I want you to be the voice of the hottest girl. I want you to be the person who breaks that barrier. That's not fair of me. No. That I want that from her. I want that too, but it's not fair of us. No. In short, uh, no, it's not fair of us. And I guess the takeaway is that we all have more work to do, that everything you read has to be examined and re-examined. Like, don't you wish you had more critical media reading all the time to like to read and do an essay for class? Well, no, Duanna, nerd. I do not wish – I don't want more homework. Yes, you do. My head you is already homework. spinning from all of this now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, Megan Fox, Indiana Jones. I do want to end on one slightly amusing note, even though I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, the comment section in the New York Times is – often robust and usually fairly civil. Um, They do a good job of sort of keeping things on topic. So I found it hilarious that when I opened the comment section, the first comment reads, must pseudoscience be promoted? (laughs) Like (laughs) after all of that and the giant headline about Me Too, that was the comment from R from Chicago. Listen, I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, R conversation just now about Megan Fox notwithstanding, still stand by that. I will say the content of this show as I was reading it, the first thing that popped in my mind was, oh, is this goop for archaeology? I mean- Or history, right? Like- At least it's a slot that hasn't been done before. Like that's new and innovative. She has alternative theories and she gets scientists to come in and say, was this possible that there were, what was the thing you said? Giant- Oh, uh, uh, prehistoric giants in pre- North America? That's right. So, I mean, <laughs> like, I reserve, I hope, is it okay for me to doubt, like, the actual, is is this, I mean, we, we actually have legitimate paleontologists and archaeologists and all of that doing this work. Sure. That's another conversation <laughs> for another time about, you know, whether we need somebody who's already famous to expose the work of of the people who are actually doing the yes. work. Um, but yeah, I was just amused that after a giant headline about why she won't speak on Me yeah. Too, <laughs> must pseudoscience be promoted? It just, it, it brought everything around for me in a nice way. You know, it was all going so well. It was all going so well. We were having a good show. We were having fun. And then I like, you know, I like to think that I'm in the family, that I'm maybe in the know about things that happen around here. I had to read this on your site. Well, I want, I planned for that to happen. I wrote it that we were doing the podcast tonight and I couldn't wait to see your expression when you stumbled upon this news. Yeah, but then it wasn't on our agenda. We were going to talk about something (laughs) entirely different. Until I found this news item. But then I wouldn't be able to get your live reaction. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> buried in the what else column Wasn't is… Wasn't buried. It's the first item. In the what else column, we learned… Uh, I, I, I almost can't even talk about this. You learned. I learned. <clears throat> A Sister Act reboot is happening soon. Okay. All right. Um, 
Like I can barely speak uh, because the article that you linked to is on delisted and the first sentence is so perfect. I've always had this dream of running into the HR department of my nine to five gig shouting, I quit. And then breaking out into the sister act two version of Oh Happy Day as security escorts me out of the building. (sighs) Okay. So while you take a deep breath, I will um, give people a brief backgrounder on how you feel about Sister Act 2. Please. It has basically formed many of your opinions on life and work and music and performing. Oh, all of the above, yes. You projected yourself into the cast. Oh, yeah. Um, At any given time. Well, you wanted to be… Lauren. Okay, well, but- let's stop. Let me tell you why. Let me, okay. Let's just, uh, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. I was on a roll. You were like, that was three yeses in a row from you. Yes, but okay. they're, they're, they're incomplete yeses. I feel like I'm on the stand. Like, can I elaborate, Your Fine. Honor? Okay, Sister Act, 1992, right? Good movie. Yes? Yes. Sure, great. But it was surprisingly a hit with kids, which is why they made Sister Act 2 back in the habit where uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Sister Mary Clarence, is now back undercover. It is the thinnest premise. It's amazing. <laughs> Teaching at a high school. Right. Which is itself about to close. Um, I, had a, I was working on a story with a friend the other day, and he said, we should just do the resort's about to close. And I said, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, that plot, the resort's about to close. Like the fact that the school is about to close is bananas. Anyway, Sister Mary Clarence teaches a sassy ass music class filled with brats who don't respect her. Right. Most notably, of course, a then virtually unknown Lauren Hill. Yes. It is her first movie role. Yes. Which she fucking knocks out of the park. Kills it. By the way, not her first acting role because she had been, of course, on soaps. Mm -hmm. All comes back. Um, Yes. So, yes, it was 1994. They were supposed to be, I guess, like 17 or so. I would have been like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. I was in a choir. They were a choir. Jennifer Love Hewitt is in this movie. Well, I was going to say, at times, most of the time, you projected yourself into Lauren's character, but I do know that once in a while, you may have stepped into Jennifer Love Hewitt, like for a day. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, it's, it's maybe more achievable to be the girl who doesn't have lines. It's amazing. And yes, it has several of the most joyful songs. Right. Yeah. Okay. You love it so much that for your wedding, as we've shared, your friends, all of us, we did a performance of Oh Happy Day together as if we were a choir and we surprised you and played it at the reception. Yeah. Like now I will give you all the credit. You went behind my back. You set up, it wasn't like just a, you set up risers. Oh, and it was a three camera shoot. Yeah. It, there was a three camera shoot. Everybody yeah. was in uniform with choreography. Correct. In character. Um, and then as the song evolves and different friends who couldn't be there on the day are cut in. Yes. Um, to, to be there. The editing um, was great. The edit- I, was, I had nothing to do with the editing, but the editing was great. Yes. Um, that's all on Lara. Thank you, Lara, for making right. that happen. So the point is, you care about this. Like, it is essential to your identity. It is. And look, if, 
it's one of those things where I don't know. I can watch this movie thousands of times yes. and have the same joy. Me too. But I don't know if it's like Catcher in the Rye. I don't know if you experienced it for the first time as a 40-year-old person if you'd be like, oh, the magic is not there, right? Right. If you have a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old in your life, can you please show them this movie? Because it's not just singing and the school's going to close and like whatever. There's also like struggles, like <laughs> there's lessons learned. Correct. Um. Sister Mary Clarence, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, gives Rita Louise Watson, uh, Lauren Hill, a copy of Letters to a Young Poet, like Rainer Maria Rilke. And she explains to her how if you're going to be a writer, you have to write every day. And it's this like very, uh, I learned that word today that I forget all the time, Bildungsroman. Do yes. you know that word? Yes. Did I say it even remotely right? Is, there's a D in there. Bildungsroman? Yeah. yeah. The the idea of somebody growing from a child to an adult, uh, that's in this movie. You have all of the things. It's a perfect movie. And as if there needed to be any debate, it far, far, far surpasses the original. Oh, yeah. No one wants to rewatch the original. Like if you if it's a weekend and it's on, you want it to be back in the habit. A hundred percent. I read once that sequels are whores movies, meaning that you make the first movie because you have an idea, yeah, right, or a story or whatever. You make the second movie because the first one made money, and you think you can make more movie. Yeah, more, no, and you think you can make more money. Yeah, no, this one was. Listen, I think that there is a special place in for those of us who were of a certain age of that generation watching it for the first time. There's a special place in our hearts, and so do Anna. <sighs> yes, the news that they will be remaking it, redoing it. All of that. Are you going to be okay? I hope. I hope I'm going to be okay. So, I mean, I don't know why you're laughing. You just said it means a lot to you also. No, but you're just so dramatic. I really, I care a lot about this. I do. Like, look, here, I'm going to get, like, annoying. Like, you know when Star Wars bros are all like, don't ruin my shit. That's how I feel about this, except I'm not a racist misogynist. Like, are you going to be men's, right <laughs> men's rights movement E about Sister Act 2? Am I going to be choir's rights movement? <laughs> are you going to, like, bomb Rotten Tomatoes and kill the reviews and, like, lower the percentage? I mean, I'm just saying. Okay, so the, the only actual quote here is uh, there's a quote from Whoopi Goldberg saying, um, we've been all over Disney begging and they've decided that they're going to go in a different direction for Sister Act. So it won't be Sister Act 3. It will be a brand new rendition of Sister Act. And I guess I'll walk through a scene and that's how they'll say I was part of it. Um, that sounds like a little bit of sour grapes from her, which I'm just going to put an asterisk on. Um, but okay. So Disney is rebooting this. We're in an age of reboots. This is, this should be blessed. Like, that they know what they have. Yeah. And it's not like it has been dormant, which is to say Sister Act, the original recipe, has been, I think, at times a stage show mm -hmm. um, and has been, like, almost a review, you know, a, yeah. a musical review kind of thing. So there's nothing here that says in so many words that we're going back to Sister Act 2, the far superior version where we had 
kids in a high school. One of them was called Sketch because he sketched. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, It's so perfect. Like I'm looking at the time going – if I wrap up this podcast and go home, do I have time to watch it before I bed? I was just thinking how I'm going to search it and watch it before bed tonight. I, I, I mean, I don't even know if this is a discussion. Uh, sure, we could talk about like what happens if they ruin your favorite thing. Um, I don't, I don't want them to. It is a perfect movie. It exists still in my mind. Every scene, every frame is perfect. And one of the greatest joys of my adult life is finding not just one or two, but dozens of friends for whom this movie is as important. Like, game change. Yeah, I don't think you'll have a problem, like, building a secret club of, like, ruining <laughs> ruining the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I think that you have your army already. I'm sure they're out there. Okay, but, um, you know, talk me off a ledge. Uh, you try earlier, we were talking about like, well, the executives are not going to go that way, Duanna. So if you are, if you're you, but the, you know, executive version of you with a budget and whatnot, which version of Sister Act are you making? Because the other side of the argument, of course, is if you make an inferior Sister Act 2, or if you make Sister Act 3 and it's not as good, if you don't find Lauren Hill again. Like, this movie launched fucking Lauren Hill. Yeah. It was perfect timing. It was perfect casting. It was perfect everything. Then if you make the inferior version, it's inferior. Here's my problem with it. Um, And I'm going to bring Ariana Grande into this. You know how she just did her video? Yes. For Thank You Next. Yes. And in that video… There are vignettes from four beloved rom-coms, right? 13 Going on 30, um, Legally Blonde. Yeah. Um, mean Girls, Mean Girls. And what's the other one? The other oh, one. Bring It On. Right. Right? And nobody wants those movies remade. No, that was an homage, right? Yeah. Like, that was uh, – that's your point, I guess. Like, that was exactly enough. Exactly. Because – and how old is Ariana Grande? 24, 25 or so. So can you just quickly Google, um, bring it on, year? Oh, uh, 2000. I know off the top of my head. Okay, so how old would she have been? Stop it. There's math. I don't want that. Like, seriously, that's 18 years ago. 25 minus 18 is seven. She would have been seven when that movie came out. So she would have watched it later, later on, right? She would have watched uh, it no, or I would she have watched it at seven? I think she would have watched it at seven. Okay. I think I was seven when Dirty Dancing came out. Okay. Um, and obviously tons of it was going over my head, but I think it was that kind of a thing. Right? Sure. So 1993, seven-year-olds, uh, what, 1994 back in the habit, seven-year-olds. So they would have been born, like seven-year-olds at 20, in the year 2000, like whoever was watching it in the year 2000 would be, uh, what, 25, 6, 20, 30 now? Right? I'm so afraid of all the numbers you're saying. Like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Um, What I'm saying is there is still, even though we're a little bit older, I do have confidence that there is a 22, 23-year-old out there who feels just as strongly about Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, as we do, and doesn't need the remake. They just need an homage. 
is what I'm trying to say. Like, I get what you're saying, right? The pay, yeah. Yeah, Uh, like, all of us who were living for Ariana's video, and I, I loved every minute of it, lived for it because it was just vignettes and small snippets. At no point was there any fear that she would go and contaminate the originals because they're all there. Right. In pristine condition. Right. And because, and it's clear that she did that out of love, right? Because they're all there in pristine condition. Yes. You just, you barely glance upon them. Right. And you head off. So Sister Act 2 is in pristine condition. Number one, because as you said, how often are you, like, are you going to find a Lauren Hill? Number one. But of course, the other side of that equation is Whoopi. Yeah, yeah, it is. She, uh, I don't mean to disrespect Whoopi Goldberg, um, who's getting a lot more play on this episode of Show Your Work than I expected. She's excellent. Um, and and it's a real chemistry situation. There is. I mean, it's somebody who, like, was a lounge singer and <laughs> a showgirl who then was hiding in an almost closed down school in a nun's habit. Like, there's an element of the ridiculous about that, right? An element of the ridiculous of Whoopi doing that. And then being able to like speak to the students the way she did in the way in a way that was irreverent. Like, don't talk to me like I'm your t- regular teacher. I'm not that. And meanwhile, all the other nuns uh, who she had won over in the previous movie adored her. Yes. Yeah. I, like to this day, I have a soft spot for Sister Mary Catherine. Oh, of course. The the meek little one, right? Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, no, that's, um, that's, uh, S- Mr. Mary Francis. Uh, sister, uh, <laughs> your thing of Sister Mary Patrick is Catry, Kathy Najimy. No. I can still make my friends laugh by going, focus. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the mousy one. Oh, the that one. is, uh, Sister Mary fake. No, um, Francis? that's a line. Uh, Francis no. or Catherine? Nope, neither. It's a male name. It's Sister Mary. Sister Mary, stand by, please. Sister Mary Robert. Sister <laughs> Sister Mary Robert. Okay, I don't even know what my point is. My point is Whoopi Goldberg was like, there was an element of like, seriously? This is crazy, but so funny. Like you have to find magic in that person too. And I, I don't, I just don't see it. I can't put it together. I mean, I did not intend to come here for this, but I just want to say, uh, Disney, if you need me, you can call me because here's the thing. Okay, Duanna. Wait, so no, no. now you're going to pitch it to write it. Watch. Here's why. Um, I was just thinking, yeah, well, you're right. Plus we have to do the premise, like who's going to be in a, fake uh, habit again. What are you going to do? There was an amazing and ridiculous uh, series that I watched last year. I was probably the only person who watched this six-part reality series about these five girls deciding whether or not they were going to become nuns, like whether they were going to enter the convent or not. That's how you do it. You have like these five, six girls in their period of discernment, as as it's called, trying to figure out if they're going to be actual nuns for life or not. And you have all those jokes and questions about like, so you're giving up sex really forever? And they're like, no, I like girls. She just lives next door now. Um, Whatever it is, uh, pardon me, I'm not maligning the sacred uh, holy orders of the Catholic church. I don't know. But you can, you have to do it all new so that you don't have the specter of any of those things, of an inferior whoopee, of an inferior 
um, Lauren Hill slash Rita Louise Watson. Because no one's going to match up on those comparisons. Absolutely not. So you need a whole new thing. That's my pitch. Don't steal it. Uh, call me. Anyway, in the meantime, are we going to go enjoy a rewatching of Sister Act 2? Yeah. I just want to say, I, I mean, I could say all the things. Um, I still love my wedding video so very, very much. Our wedding video, uh, my beloved spouse also loves it. But I mean, it was, his joy was partly in my joy. Um, Twitter, underrated place to find other fans of Sister Act 2. There was a meme this summer that was, you know, the plot of your favorite movie in five words. And when I wrote high school choir kicks ass, uh, people came out of the woodwork. I just want to share that. It's okay. Favorite song all time from that soundtrack. That's how we should close off. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to be super basic because I'm just going to go on feeling. The final number to me is, you know, she tells them to throw off their robes, right? Take off your robes. What? Your teacher says take (laughs) off your robes. Should they throw off the robes? They go out there skipping doing cartwheels across the stage. That was sketch. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can see it. I can see the colors bouncing out. Every move. It was just so much joy. And you know what? I don't want to cut you off, but I just, I'm so glad that you said that because that's why this movie made such an impact. So the other movies that were happening around this time for our age group were like Reality Bites and Singles and... Uh, God, what else came out in 94? Like they were all kind of dour and about how bad life was about to be and how you should be a slacker. And even I think Friends was conceived of as slackers, sitting in a coffee shop, slacking. And this was a movie about trying, about caring about something, about like feeling vulnerable enough to have joy and not feeling embarrassed that you might not look cool. That's one of the reasons that I think it was such a refuge. Yeah. Because it was so much fucking joy. Well, you're exactly right. And to bring it back to the beginning, there were no James Franco's on that stage at in the final number, right? No, they all start off that way and she evolves them over the top. That's right. And you know, I know you were teasing me when you said, oh, this movie has had an effect on your life and your work and your yeah. everything. But in my opinion, the underrated song. I don't know if I can put it over the final joyful, joyful, but the underrated song is wake up and pay attention. It is a song that they create sort of more or less on the fly in the class. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. And I think, I mean, that's as good a creed as any for this podcast. Man, I, yeah. That is what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to regret it in the morning because I have to wake up so early tomorrow, but I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to have to. Because you know what? Now I'm just reliving how how good she was, Lauren, I mean, when she's up there and she can see her mother glaring at her. Cheryl Lee Ralph is like underrated as a mad mom. She she's is so mad. so mad. She's glaring at her and she's so scared and then she's just like, Fuck it. I'm here. I'm going to make it happen. I better. (sighs) Well, that's a good way to end the podcast. Could not be happier, um, except that I get to be happier because I get to assign homework 
Yep. We want next week to talk about Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. So it's been out for a while. So if you've been reading, uh, study up. If you're waiting to get it over Christmas or hoping Santa's bringing it to you or so forth, um, just maybe be aware that there will be some some parts there that will tantalize your appetite. Uh, but read up in the meantime. It's a book about work. It's and a it's work a, book. It's a good read. I defy you to not race through it. And until next time, subscribe to us where you get your podcasts, leave comments, um, and keep on emailing your Show your work thoughts to us. We've been building up a small collection of notes, thoughts from you guys about your work that we'd like to read on next week's episode. So um, if you have some anecdotes, if you have some work stories you want to share, please send them to us. Thank you so much. As always, get in touch uh, with your tweets, with your comments. Um, Please download the podcast. I'm ignorant and didn't realize that downloading as opposed to streaming makes a difference. So please do that for us. That's always helpful and appreciated. And in the meantime, um, oh, happy day. (laughs) Is that really corny? Too bad. Show your work. Bye. Bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.